and I understood that the royal floozy. Pullstock coughed. <coughs> I don't think that's an appropriate description of the Jersey Rose, young man. We should remember her for her good works, not her failings. Anyway, the point is, I was to examine the royal bedchamber tableau and other relevant exhibits. Lady Wintersham said she would arrange for me to be shown round. You need Mr. Kenno, the young man said. He's the manager. In that case, I would be obliged if you would find him for me. Pullstock injected into his tone the chilling politeness that he had used so successfully on the lower fifth in their more unruly moments. At once. Okay, sunshine, the attendant said, picking up a phone. Your wish is my command. Mr. Kenno, a slight, middle-aged man with a single, bushy eyebrow above his eyes, was far more to Poolstock's taste. "'Yes, indeed, Mr. Poolstock,' he murmured. "'Lady Wintersham telephoned this morning. Graham can't have seen the message I left at the office. I do apologise. "'Not at all. "'We shall be honoured to give you every facility. Can I offer you a cup of coffee before you start?' No, thank you. Time and tide wait for no man. I should like to get down to work as soon as possible. Of course. Kenno turned to the attendant. Kindly prepare a free pass for this gentleman, Graham. He may wish to return. Okay, boss. Kenno led the way across the semicircular barbican to the great gatehouse of the outer ward. We find it so difficult to get the right sort of staff these days, he said as they passed over the wooden bridge that had replaced the drawbridge. They just don't care. It's a great worry. I blame the parents myself, Poolstock said, with the certainty that only a childless man is capable of. By the way, I saw a, a man on one of the seats on the ramp. He appeared to be in a state of advanced inebriation. Oh, dear. Mr. Kenno's forehead wrinkled. It's so difficult. Not the sort of thing the tourists like. I'll ask Graham to pop down and have a word with him. Poolstock privately doubted that Graham had the necessary moral fibre to deal with the Irishman, but politeness kept him silent. They crossed the clipped grass of the outer ward and began to climb the long stone stairway that led to the inner bailey. Kenno walked slowly, in deference to Poolstock's age and infirmities. Even at this time of year, the castle attracted a respectable number of visitors. Poolstock commented on this to his companion. Yes, it's not bad, is it? Kenno said. In fact, we've had a good year altogether, by our standards, that is. As tourist spots go, we're very much the poor relation of Mont Orgueil. Poolstock observed that Mont Orgueil was a much larger castle. It's not just that. We're in private ownership, whereas Mont Orgueil belongs to the states of Jersey, so we just haven't the same resources. At least you've got the Jersey Rose. True, we must count our blessings. Kenno nodded his head several times, 
as though he were counting them one by one. Lady Wintersham tells me that we're going to stock your biography here. I imagine the tourists will snap it up. Poolstock coloured slightly. I haven't even written it yet. My research is still in the preliminary stages. Of course. Kenno added, with a wistfulness that delighted Poolstock, I've often thought how wonderful it must be to write a book. Poolstock nodded. He had thought the same thing himself. They passed through the vaulted tunnel of the inner ward's gatehouse and emerged in the sun-filled courtyard beyond. The inner ward was at the highest point of the headland on which the castle stood. The ground sloped gently up to the squat, four-square keep, the oldest part of the fortifications. It had been built...